Stoop doesn't get the berry joke, but five people will. That that twelve percent, dude. That's who we do it for. <laughs> that's the extra inch. You add up all them inches. It's a popcorn. Regular dudes. What stuff? Welcome to Regular Dudes Watching Stuff, where we're just a bunch of regular dudes who like to watch stuff. I'm your host, Jamie G. Esquire, the fifth. I'm somewhere in between too rare to live and too weird to die. And while I'm not a member of the 12 Monkeys Army, well, I drink Brass Monkey and I rock well. Brass Monkey! I'm here with the Soup Producer and Maggie Mills to talk about what we've watched recently and to talk about the 1995 Terry Gill 12 Monkeys. Mills, what is going on with you, dude? Are you also a Brass Monkey junkie? Are you still a Chorus Man? Yeah, man. I feel like if I switch it up at this point, like any possible sponsorship deal is probably off the table. You know, consistency is key. You dig? I mean, there's no right. There's no wrong. There's only popular opinion. I am Magna Mills, and I hope that you're going to help us out with that their popular opinion. This is Regular Dudes Watch Stuff. Find us wherever you get your pods and on YouTube or on social media at Dudes Watch Stuff. And please don't forget to help our opinion by not forgetting the flaps. You need to not forget the flaps. Don't forget the flaps. It's very important. I said it three times. You'll remember it now. Follow, like, and please subscribe. This is what helps other people find our show and our channel. We greatly appreciate it. If you had fun, give us that thumb. Soup, are you having fun? Is everything all right? I mean, you haven't like been attacked by a coked up whore and a crazy fucking dentist recently, have you? Not recently, no. Thank fuck. Fingers crossed, but... Uh... Crazy dentists are brutal, man. They have good tools. Yeah, 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 yeah. You gotta be careful with those fuckers, man. Nah, man, just like, you know, enjoying uh, enjoying some nice cold beers, PBRs, man, uh, keeping it mellow. And uh, we did it, man. And before we go back to the future, wait, that's really confusing. Let me check with the giant dick who we call a producer. Uh, is Woody available? Woody Blow? Okay. Okay, so apparently we're being deliberately misleading in an attempt to snare any Back to the Future fans. So hopefully we get them in our wide-casted net here. Uh, let's try this again. Before we go back to a time when animals ruled the planet, we've got the worst writers. Anyway, before we get to our featured review... We've got to address the holes in this house because there are some holes in this house. What have you guys been filling your holes with since our last episode? Soup Deuce, you're on the docket first, bro. Have you been enjoying yourself? Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Aside from aside from keeping up with uh with uh, you know uh, set lists that are going on with the uh, current fish tour and checking into those and everything else and listening to a lot of that with my ear holes. Um, and eye holes with some of the YouTube footage and whatnot. I also uh, I haven't I haven't really I haven't really filled a whole lot of holes over the past week, but I did start watching this random show called This Fool. It's all right. I mean, it's a uh, it's good enough to check out, man. I watched the first couple episodes of it. I'll probably go through the rest of them, but uh, it's funny. Um, 
it like you know it's not it's not going to knock your dick in the dirt but it's it's good enough to check out on like a late night or whatever you're looking for something random and they got for holes this week man some holes just aren't as deep uh guys for me i don't have a deep hole either i've dug a divot um rather than a hole I'm continuing into Banshee. I'm working about halfway through season three. There's four total seasons. Again, this show is absolutely fantastic. Don't let people tell you, ah, it's just like crazy banging and action scenes. Yes, it is, but it's so much more than that. It's awesome. Our boy, Anthony Starr, who you may know as Homelander in The Boys. Uh, if you're not checking it out, go check us out over, over at Compound V where we talk about The Boys. It's an amazing show and all things boys related. He, Anthony Starr, is in this. He stars. He's fucking fantastic. Great cast here of supporting characters. This storyline has so many plots so many things happening it almost reminds me of like a true blood and maybe that's because alan ball who was directly related to true blood did this as kind of a spin-off show it's so grimy and bangy that it's on max not hbo they bang too much for hbo but dude it's really good i'm really enjoying it season three uh that's been awesome enjoying that uh as as per usual you know i love my survival shit i've been watching you know, alone and naked and afraid. Those are always just feel goods, but I have been filling my ear holes with fish and my eye holes because I'm fresh off the first two nights at Madison square garden. And they were absolutely fucking fantastic. The light rig CK five out of this world with what he does with the lights. Both nights had very, very, very highs. I had two different seats uh, in the venue. I'm, I've, I've seen fish at Madison square garden, um a bunch now and so i've I've been all over the venue and i really kind of finding what i like just an incredible run here they're playing right now i wish i was there it's sunday this would be night three when we're filming this they're on a, they're on an absolute tear that's been fantastic if you haven't checked them out on summer tour download the live fish app check them out they're fucking incredible magna mills very good sir uh, that sounds like a good time whether you're a fan or not sounds like a cool live show um, I suppose I could kind of bag on the Marvel Secret Invasion finale and whatnot. You know, all I want to say, they should have done Nick, Nick Fury, Samuel L. Jackson better. That's all I'm going to say. I have seen episode one of the Futurama reboot from Hulu. It was fine. It was fun. I expect the rest of the season will be about the same. Uh, not quite as high quality as the show at its peak, but still you know, better than kind of Zombie Simpsons or something like that. I think most prominently, I want to talk about the Venture Brothers movie. Radiant is the blood of the baboon heart. The Venture Brothers is a, a weird show. It started out on Adult Swim back in like 2002, I think. And it was kind of like a weird parody of Johnny Quest. Like, what if Johnny Quest grew up? Like, wouldn't he be screwed up? And they cross it over with some other satire. Because back then, all Cartoon Network really had was they had the Hanna-Barbera cartoon. So that's why they did like C-Lab and Space Ghost and all that. So that's where it started out. And by the end, when it got canceled at the end of its seventh season, which I believe was in 2018, so at that point it almost been on for two decades, but only running for seven seasons, because they would infamously take forever. It's really two dudes who do most of the work. It was all hand animated. This was a show that just became something else. I mean, it became its whole interconnected universe it was supposed to be renewed for season eight it was picked up and it was canceled so they came back to kind of finish the show with this movie uh checks in like a little bit over an hour and 20 minutes and it's a good ending for the show it, it's very good you know i wouldn't say it you should watch that before watching any of the other parts of the show 
but it's a good enough ending. The creators want to do more. If you haven't watched the Venture Brothers, give them a shot. It, it might not quite be there for you when it starts out, but it's one of the shows I would just love to point to as something that like it started out, it's one thing, and it just let itself organically grow into something else, which culminated in this movie. And I think it's really cool. Not only is it incredibly funny, and you can just tell that the people who did this really put their hearts into it. It, it watch the Venture Brothers. That's what I'm saying. It's worth it. This is Brick Frog, EMA level one. Powers include holding a brick and shouting his name. Pays his dues, keeps low, then last week he suddenly quits with a note stating, later losers, signed Brick Frog, with like 10 exclamation points. Oh, right! Brick Frog! Brick Frog! Brick Frog! Brick Frog! Brick Frog! <laughs> I'm in on that. Man, I'm pretty hyped up, dude. And speaking of being hyped up, let's talk about the hype train. That's right. Choo! Choo! It's time. Is there anything that's releasing soon that you guys are fired up for? Give us that new shit, man. What's what's up with the hype train? Soup Deuce, you're up. Um, you know, I'm not really sure, dude. I'm definitely looking forward to the uh, boys spinoff coming up here in a couple of months. Uh, I know that's a little bit far away. Something that's already been released that I haven't had a chance to check out yet is the uh, new season of Tacoma FD. I'm looking forward to scoping that out. Other than that, man, you know, not a whole lot, dude. That's a couple of things. I think you actually mentioned it before. Coming up very soon for us is uh, the season three of Only Murders in the Building. I have been able to go through and uh, rewatch the first two seasons of that. Very good one. Martin Short, Steve Martin, Selena Gomez. Uh, great supporting cast. Enjoyed that very much. Jamie G, what are you hyped for besides Fish? Shit, dude. Can we just say, like, preseason? We'll be talking about all sorts of shit. Check us out over at Seize the Gap Fantasy Football. Make sure you check us. But, dude, I'm super pumped for Archer, season 14. It is going to be the final season, uh, August 30th. That gets released over on FX. Really excited for Archer. Been a super Archer fan. Thank you, Magnum Mills, for turning me on to Archer a long, long time ago. Uh, anybody have a fish list? I do. And it is time for fish list, baby. That's right. Fish tour going on right now. And just for those of you who are checking in, I along with Soup Deuce, huge fish fans. We love it, greatest band there ever was, in our opinions, unlike anything else you can see live, go check them out. We do this thing where we talk to Magnum Mills, who isn't a fish fan, and we give him two different sets. One is a set of actual fish songs that could be any set that they've played over the last 40 years. The other is a set of made-up fish songs. Magnum Mills has to guess which one is real, which one was, isn't, and by the way, We've decided to put a little skin in the game. We have made this sponge-worthy, Magnum Mills. So if you're wrong, half a sponge comes to your boy. If you're right, half a sponge goes to yourself. You're already up half a sponge last week when you got soup deuce. Pretty pumped for this, Magnum Mills. You ready? Let's get it on. Let's get it on. All right. So set one, we open up with a classic page joint where page hits that little button on his keyboard and it takes us to that 1950s movie where the lady talks about your trip is short and we have 
the wolves the howling wolves for the entire song there's just wolves howling in the background they're jamming out literally no words other than that thing crazy set opener we love it we go from there into a very deep jammy sense and subtle objects this is a really cool one it elevates jam funk psychedelic back to the jam very awesome from there we get a loud applause the crowd is in it they go back into trees trees followed by a nice dog in the clouds again we get a, a page joint here where page gets his moment from then we get a saw before they don't play it often but it's nice when they do little pause there and then we get they slow it down with a mud a nice easy mud into ocean planet that ocean planet is 17 minutes plus deep jam there then we get just a crazy scene with 2004 lights are going all over the place fucking awesome song uh that takes us into most events get planned and they do another page for that trifecta page joint and they finish with a high energy outer tube set two opens with a very funky 46 days i'm talking about all the funk mike really shines into this and speaking of mike they take 46 days into a classic mike song mike on the bass gets his 555 is 555 555 555 hits dude they take that into a song i heard the ocean sing which is very awesome they get dark on that one they get a little evil fish they go deep into a song i heard the ocean sing very good jam at least 18 minutes possibly 20 plus from there we get a super hot fuego and i'm talking about a deep fuego dude not just a quick six minute fuego no 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 the boys are on it for at least 15 in this fuego from there we get into a cities uh yeah you, you gotta find your city very awesome deep jam there all the funk on the set list uh, we get into a character zero. They rage the fuck out of a character zero. That's a solid, solid, solid rage. Crowds up, jumping, huge applause. They then slow it down with a little old time place just for fun because they love to be that old time place. And then they finish with a legendary psychedelic maze. Magnum Mills, which is the real fish set list? Set list one or set list two? Good sell, dude. And the uh, soup kept it pretty clean. I really couldn't pick up any good tells here. I am going to go with Setlist 2 as the real list. Setlist 2 is the real list. And Magnum Mills is on fire because Setlist 2 is, in fact, the real Setlist. I don't know. Maybe we're converting. A, a song I heard the ocean sing. I don't know why. That's the one that got me there. For some reason, a song I heard the ocean sing. That was the one there. Magnum Mills becoming a fan before our eyes and i gotta hand it to you magnum mills doing fish lists you have now gained an extra sponge dude congratulations you picked the right set list we made you think though i'm glad that we made you think yeah dude more sponges that's what i'm talking about baby uh, uh fish we love you i think it's time we head to philadelphia which might actually look better after the fall of civilization i mean I mean, that line was beautiful. What do you guys think? Mills, were the people of Philadelphia the problem all along? I mean, you could make a case. You could make a case. All right, all right. All right. Let me try to tie what you said into the film we're about to discuss by paraphrasing Homer Simpson's views on alcohol. Jamie G, here's the people, the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. 
I think I believe everything you said except this. I'm not buying the solution part. That's that's where I draw the line here, Mills. Touche, Dr. Watsons. This is 12 Monkeys, directed by Terry Gilliam, on a screenplay by David Peoples and Chana Peoples, based on Le Jute by Chris Maker, produced by Charles Roven, cinematographer was Roger Pratt, edited by Mick Audsley, music by Paul Buckmaster. Release date was December 29th, 1995. It had a budget of approximately $29.5 million and made approximately $168.8 million at the United States box office. On a running time of 29 minutes, we have a film starring Bruce Willis, Madeline Stowe, Brad Pitt, and Christopher Plummer. The plot synopsis is James Cole, a prisoner of the state in the year 2035, can earn parole if he agrees to travel back in time and thwart a devastating plague. The virus has wiped out most of the Earth's population, and the remainder live underground because the air is poisonous. Returning to the year 1990, six years before the start of the plague, Cole is soon imprisoned in a psychiatric facility because his warnings sound like mad ravings. There he meets a scientist named Dr. Catherine Rayleigh and Jeffrey Goins, the mad son of an eminent virologist. Cole is returned by the authorities to the year 2035 and finally ends up at his intended destination in 1996. He kidnaps Dr. Rayleigh in order to enlist her help in his quest. Cole discovers graffiti by an apparent animal rights group called the Army of the Twelve Monkeys. But as he delves into the mystery, he hears voices, loses his bearings, and doubts his own sanity. He must figure out if Goins, who seems to be a raving lunatic, holds the key to the puzzle. Well, here's the deal. From this point forward, we're going to be talking about this movie, Twelve Monkeys, man. If you haven't seen the movie, we're going to spoil the fuck out of it. We're going to say everything there is to know about it. We're going to go into it in detail, man. We're going to talk about the ending. And everything that happens up until that point. So you have been officially warned. Biatch. Get it. At the end of our previous episode, Mills, you successfully pitched us on discussing 12 Monkeys. You could have pitched any Bruce Willis film, dude. Uh, There's a lot out there. Break it down why you chose 12 Monkeys. And thank you for doing so. It's just a great movie. It's not maybe the best at any one thing. It's not perfect. But it's just a movie I've always enjoyed. I think you got top-tier Bruce Willis, top-tier Brad Pitt, especially early career Brad Pitt. It's Terry Gilliam at the top of its game. I think over the years, it's even become maybe more relevant to me because I live in the Philadelphia area, so I know some of this. And then we've all kind of lived through a pandemic now, albeit not like this. And this is just a, a film where there's so much you can talk about. The tiniest details about all the the technology and the repurposed stuff and everything up to like big questions about, you know, what would happen if you were, you know, see your future self die or whatever, you know, uh, are we predestined to do what we do? There's a a lot of deeper themes that the film kind of want to engage in. So I think it's a great movie because you can take as much as you want away, you know, from it. Like you can just surface level. It's a fun time travel movie, or you could think about it for days. Oh, yeah, dude. I mean, it's it's an absolute thinker, dude. Like, I've been thinking about it all week, right? And it, it, it's exciting to talk about. Really good choice, man. Out of all the Bruce Will, you couldn't have went wrong. Glad you picked this one. 12 Monkeys, it's, it is directed by Terry Gilliam, who's a filmmaker with unique signature style, done stuff that we certainly love. But before we dive into 12 Monkeys... I mean, shit, dude, let's talk a little bit about Terry Gilliam. How do we feel about him, his films, his style? 
Uh, Soup, I know you're a big Terry Gilliam guy, dude. What do you like about him? Uh, I love Terry Gilliam's directing style. I love everything he ever did with the, uh, you know, his work with the Monty Python crew and all that. I mean, he's just a legendary, you know, visionary fucking director and uh, and actor from back in the day. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's brilliant, man. And obviously, I love his directing. I mean, he's responsible for some really good movies. Uh, this one, uh, Fear and Loathing, um, I mean, he's just, he's on another level, man. Yeah, I'm basically there with you on that. The Monty Python stuff was great. You could kind of see him grow. You know, I've never, I should probably give the Fisher King a rewatch. I don't think I've seen that since like forever ago. I have kind of recently seen uh, Brothers Grimm and the uh, Dr. What is it, Dr. Panarsis, uh, the Imaginarium joint. Uh, those were okay. Not nearly as good as this, or I think Fear and Loathing. You know, those are probably my favorites. Brazil is another one that I haven't seen in a long time that I should try to get back into. I heard good things about the, uh, the Zero Theorem one with uh, Christoph Waltz or whatever. I have not seen that, but I would like to check him out. I, I think overall, Terry Gilliam is one of those guys. If, if his name's on it, he's directing especially, I'm willing to check it out, basically. JBG, anything to add? Yeah, I mean, exactly, dude. I think it's 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 such artistic value with Terry Gilliam, but yet very intense at moments where it's like, wow. Um, I just think he's... He has this ability to do things that were that are scary and dark, but yet funny and bright and, and blends them so well. He can do all sorts of different stuff and keep you engaged, kind of edge of seat watching. It, really talented. Enjoy it. I'm there for anything he does. Um, this one did not disappoint at all. So very, very, very pumped about it. Uh, to break it down right here on regular dudes watch stuff and you know look man say what you will about 12 monkeys it seems to be a film without a middle ground you either love it or hate it um that's kind of what what's out there with it i mean it, you either love it or hate it soup where are you at on this one man overall thoughts on 12 monkeys do you love it do you hate it or have you found that elusive middle ground that the critics can't seem to find um i mean i love this one is it brings me back in time a bit to uh like i remember when this movie came out and it was one that i had watched a lot i I know i had it on both vhs and uh and dvd back in the day it was something i definitely really enjoyed watched over and over again it was kind of a mind fuck and uh you know yeah i mean it uh it's definitely a movie that i rate very highly man I'm right there with you, and it's a, a little bit of an odd one because if you said what's the best part about 12 monkeys I would maybe struggle to pick out one particular part, but there's no bad parts either. Like, I think I would, like, almost eat a spider for this movie. Like, I'm not actually going to eat a spider, but, you know, almost. It's just, it's not, like, the funnest movie, the most action-packed movie. Like, and it's funny, but there's not, like, joke jokes. I just think it's, like, really engaging. It looks very cool. It sounds great. And the momentum is just terrific. I mean, there is a lot going on in this movie, but despite all that, the film never lags. It just keeps going and it really keeps you engaged the entire time. And every time I watch it, it's one of those when I put it on, I feel kind of obligated to finish it out. I can't just like, you know, drop out halfway through or something. If if I all can, I try to finish. That's what she said. And yeah, big fan here, dude. Like um, when this first came out, I definitely remember I did not really take this in. I think, you know, I think I fell asleep. Like I wasn't in it to win it. I think I saw the beginning, fell asleep, woke up at the end kind of thing. So rewatching this felt like new for me, which I really enjoyed. 
And I thought it was really well done. It moved along. It's a little bit long at two hours and, and change, but it, it, it didn't feel boring at all. Bruce Willis is outstanding. He's got his classic kind of like disheveled Bruce Willis tough guy thing, but he, but he's deeper. Love the story here. Brad Pitt is why Brad Pitt, maybe Brad Pitt got enough recognition for this, but it didn't feel like he did. This was him on another level, man. Really good. I love this one, dude. It left me having fun while watching it, but thinking about it for days. And we'll talk about maybe the ending and what it meant to us and what we think, how it, how, what played out there. But I really liked this one. I, I thought it was just so entertaining for being two hours and nine minutes or whatever it was. And before we get into the film itself, let's talk about time travel. Are you guys fans of time travel stories? Some people love it. Some people hate it. Is there, I don't know, a particular time travel story or movie other than 12 Monkeys that you really enjoy and why? Um, I just got to say, mom and dad save the planet is a time travel one that's so random that really just makes me feel good dude i like mom and dad save the earth or planet earth or whatever it was it was a really good one dude uh john lovett's joint um yeah 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 that you know a solid solid choice there man i mean there's there's been a lot of you know good time travel movies over the years man and I mean, I like it. It's good enough. I, I do think the time machine. I read that book also, and the and the movie also was 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 very well put together. Uh, ranks up there pretty highly. Uh, Twelve Monkeys is a good one. I mean, and we, I mean, we can't not talk about Back to the Future if we're going to start talking about time travel movies. But you know, I mean, it it depends. It depends on the movie. You know, some are better than others, and it depends on how they do it. You know, I mean, it's, it's all about the context. You know, I mean, you can say time travel, and it could be whatever the fuck. But it matters what the movie's about or what the story actually is, you know. Yeah, I think that's totally the way to play. I mean, that's why we love Back to the Future, right? I mean, the time travel is cool, but we all talk about the characters. And even the weird shit, like he travels in the DeLorean. And it's kind of the hoverboard, you know, the specific parts about it, I think, are what we kind of latch on to. And I, I'd say the same. I'm generally a huge fan of Back to the Future. I always kind of like the... uh um, it would be more of the Groundhog Day thing, like stuck in a time loop movies where you repeat the, the joint over and over. That's one of my favorites. And I also like kind of what you see here where it turns out it's kind of like a causal loop, like ultimately going back in time is what caused the thing to happen. I always kind of like that that twist to it when it comes to the stories. And I think generally I like going backwards in time more than going forwards with the maybe one exception being Back to the Future 2, which I like more than three. But I still like three because it's kind of a cool little Western joint. We'll circle back around on some of the time travel stuff at the end, but let's start off with something that hits a bit close to home here. Mills, why does Philadelphia look better with the animals running wild thing? Like they're just ruling shit. Like why does that make Philadelphia better? Dude, just the hate here. So like you're just bagging on Philly because your guys caused all of this. Because despite all the events depicted in this film, we know why the fucking world ended. And that's because that's what would ever happen if the Bills win a Super Bowl. The world will just fucking end. It's not allowed to happen. This is what happens if they win. Man, that puts us in a tough spot. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. That's that's really cool, dude. I mean, even for you, that's that's pretty fucked. Cooler uh, than a polar bear's toenails and cooler than my fucking... Light, and I have to be, or I'm doing it wrong. Based on the number of ex-wives you've had, uh, and that number's still counting, you're obviously doing something wrong. 
as I was saying, let's talk about something that hits close to home. Does this movie hit you any differently when you watch it now after living through a pandemic? I mean, like, shit, dude, we kind of we kind of lived through this prediction a little bit. We didn't lose five billion people, but we live through a global airborne pandemic. I mean, that's a big deal. It makes this shit, other than the time travel, definitely feel like more plausible, I would say. Like, I always felt if some shit happened, you know, scientists would do the thing and people would do it, like, people would die, but we'd overcome it, kind of like we did. But now I'm at the point, dude, if, if whatever, the Ebola type thing, like something that really, like, was serious death ray came out, there's just people who just won't care. So we're kind of fucked if it does. <laughs> So I hope it doesn't, but it makes this movie feel a little bit more terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. After after going through the whole like you know COVID pandemic, and yeah, whatnot. the Bubble Boy thing, you know what I mean? Like the idea of it. There's not really masks, but the whole thing and like washing, having to wash yourself off, and yeah, I mean we've always realized the possibility of something like this, but going through a pandemic, yeah, not on this scale, but you know, I mean, I think we all realize that. Hey, man, this could be a fucking thing. You know, I mean, more so than we thought beforehand. Yeah, it, it, it hit a little bit close to home. Like you can see, like wow, there's there's a world in which this can be realistic and could be crazy. I mean, obviously, have, being forced to like move underground and that's a whole nother level. But like, hey, if COVID can happen, the next one's going to be worse, right? So you know, as as chemical and biological and and viral warfare gain steam, like yeah, you can you better believe that that's a thing that could potentially happen. Yeah, and just from personal experience, I can say, like, every ex-wife has gotten worse, so it's a real thing. It is a real thing. I, I like this one just because it, you know, it took place somewhere outside of either L.A. or New York, um, you know, between kind of Baltimore and Philadelphia. Yes, those are also major cities in the in the, in the mid-Atlantic corridor. Like, yes, there's, there's something else other than New York, okay? Sorry, New York City people. You guys fucking think the whole world revolves around you. Philadelphia is a major city, as is Baltimore. These are big places. It was cool to see that um, kind of take place, bouncing in between. And, you know, Magna Mills, you and I kind of living in that world in between those two cities, it was kind of interesting to see just – you know, because at one point they make a trip from, you know, Philadelphia to Baltimore or Baltimore to Philadelphia. It, it's not, it's it's an hour and change, right? I mean, an hour and a half, right? So it, it was neat to see that kind of happen as they work up and down the East Coast there. So I thought that, that was kind of neat. But yeah, dude, with the whole viral thing and, and COVID, this was a fun rewatch for those reasons. That yeah, depends on 95. That's the, the whole thing. The, the yeah, it definitely depends. On There's a reason they raised a section of 95 in fucking 11 days. That might be the most impressive thing anyone's done since going to the moon. And I'm only half facetious. Yeah, it, it, dude, that didn't get that. Was I thought it like would take months, got, 11 days. Bro, that was kind of like a story of like when the Pentagon released like footage of aliens and the world was like, yeah, I've been going through a lot lately. It Have you seen really these motherfuckers? They raised I-95 in 11 days. Yeah, dude, they raised 95. Show me aliens. All right, like bring them out of the press conference here. Let someone touch them or something. I've seen like, CGI. People, like I've seen Thanos. I've seen Thanos. If people realize that, like, we can accomplish shit like that, it would be scary. It was all, it just went so under the radar. Like, yeah, we fixed ninety five through a major, like, traffic portion in eleven days. Like, just blows my mind completely. But I digress. Let's jump into this thing. Let's get into the film and talk about 
everything up until the point where James Cole gets incarcerated in the mental facility, starting with our introduction into the world of 2035. Mills? I always enjoyed this part where he kind of gets, you know, put out there and he gets put in the little bubble thing and goes out looking. You see the 12 monkey side and you see parts of Philadelphia and the animals and everything. I thought it was a really cool intro. It's a little steampunkish, some of the technology and everything. It's definitely classic Terry Gilliam. Feels a little bit like Brazil here with the scores. It's great. And it makes you just kind of wonder, right? Because they kind of throw you in. They don't give you any explanation. And sometimes I don't like that. Sometimes I do. You get a little bit of a prologue here. That's it. You're just jumped in. I think everything about the intro works for me to the point where I don't really blink when they say, oh, now there's time travel. Because I'm already kind of invested in the the characters and the, the setting a little bit. So, all right. Like, what's the little time travel between friends? Great question. Oop. I mean, I kind of like it because it gives you a good look at what the world's become and everything else without, you know, there wasn't a long story. You didn't have to read a whole lot of shit at the beginning. Like a lot of these movies are like set in, you know, some kind of futuristic weird out situation like this. They give you a fucking couple of paragraphs to read right away. You know, we didn't have to deal with that, which was, uh, you know, kind of. Yeah, cool. it's very like Escape from New York-ish. Yeah, like, yeah, I feel yeah. like in that, like a, a good cop kind of. Right, and uh you kind of get it just by the you know ju- just by the 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 fucking uh the layout man the the fucking vision of the whole thing man it spells it out right away so uh yeah very very well uh put together there if y'all had to guess uh, just give me kind of one other prominent actor that you think might have been up for a role in this movie and there are some of the guys that we know we've talked about so just each give me a guess of, you know, someone who might have been up for either, like, say, the James Cole role or the Jeffrey Goins role. Well, for the James Cole role, I think uh, I'm going to go I'm going to go right back to Liam Neeson on this one, dude. Nice, nice. You love you Liam Neeson, bro. <laughs> I do, too. Liam Neeson's pretty great. Jamie G, you got one? Uh, for James Cole, I'm going to go, I really think... Uh, I really, dude, call me crazy here, but I think Dennis Hopper could have been incredible in this. Oh, nice. All right. Here's the deal. Uh, apparently, that uh, Nicolas Cage was the producer's choice. Uh, Gilliam offered it to Robert De Niro, who turned it down. And then he tried to uh, persuade the studio to cast Nick Nolte as James Cole and Jeff Bridges as uh, Jeffrey Goins in the Brad Pitt role. And then the studio kind of countered with maybe Sylvester Stallone as James Cole, and that never happened. So a lot of interesting choices here, but I think ultimately it it worked out pretty well for them, all things considered. I yes. really think this is one of, especially because Bruce Willis was, you know, really kind of like in a lot of shit in the 90s. I think this stands out to me as one of his better performances. This isn't a movie where outside of a, like a Louis Armstrong track and one other, we don't really get a, a huge soundtrack, but the score is pretty prominent. And I love, I mean, what is it? Do you know what instrument that is, Soup? Is it like bagpipes? Just that little horn, like, do, 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 do. You know, the little uh, 12 Monkeys theme. I love the score for this flick, man. I think it's great. Yeah. It really sets the, the, um, the tone. I, uh, like, it's kind of playful, but mysterious, you know? This guy fucks. Am I right? That should be my Tinder profile. It is. It, it almost it should like be your Tinder profile, dude. It almost sounds like a like an even darker Danny Elfman kind of song. Or yeah, kind of, that's kind perfect. Of, uh, dude, that's know, whatever, a great uh, description. Yes, that's exactly it. Like, like something, yeah, yeah. a little Burton-esque, right? Like maybe a little Burton-esque. 
You could feel a that, bit, yeah, a little a, bit, like um, a Tim Burton joint, maybe like in the Beetlejuice too. If they had a song like that, that wouldn't like super shock me. Something like that, maybe. Yeah, just a little bit more dreary than is normal, because like you know, I mean, even in his darker stuff, you get a little bit of that. You know, there's still a little bit of fucking, uh, you know, uppity whatnots to it. You know, but like this one is just a, you know, it's fucking, it, it, it's gloomy, dude. It's very gloomy. What about the scientists? Kind of, we get our first glimpse at them, man. Like, aren't those like? Would you trust those scientists that we see? No, but I don't think you would have a choice. <laughs> That's probably the correct answer. No, you wouldn't. I mean, you're supposed to trust your doctor, but those seem like these shady, like uh, supplement doctors instead of like the dude who had to, actually had to go to college or something like that. I don't know that I would trust those scientists. It, we'll put it this way: I don't think any of those people actually invented the time travel. And that's kind of one of the things that may or may not be a plot hole in this is it almost seems like someone else invented time travel and they found it or something and don't know how to use it. And that's why people, you know, go back to the different times and everything like that. So I think it's I cool. That kind of interesting because if the, you know, if this whole thing shit went down and like, you know, it started in 96, it only took like, what, a year or two for pretty much everybody was fucking dead. Who's left to create fucking time travel? And the rest of the, like where, I mean, the current era is what, 2035 in the movie. So you got fucking, yep. see, so you got a lot of years there, man, you know, 30 fucking years or whatever the fuck. Somebody figured out time travel from underground at that point. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, one thing I will say is it's not the same, but at the end, we will reflect on the 12 Monkey series. They did a television series and they did actually address that. So, okay, but not. in this, they do not. It's just kind of left up to you. Do they invent, they find it in a future society, like invent it and send it back. Who knows? But that's the fun of the movie. Yeah. Well, and another part here is we get kind of the first glimpse of James kind of that dream that you know this was interesting to me, dude, because I've had like recurring a recurring dream. And for anyone who has, it's an interesting thing as you start to get more detail within that dream every time you dream it. I, I really like this part of the storyline. I really like this part of the directing where you get to see that dream and you get to pick up on the new things within it throughout the movie. I, I thought this was just a really cool thing that kind of runner throughout. And this was our first, first introduction to that kind of dream. Yeah. And it's not even the dreams. It's that how real are they and how much are they being impacted by who he sees, you know, cause the characters will be vague and then he sees Jeffrey Goins and he imagines Jeffrey Goins as the guy with the ponytail. And obviously it's yeah. not, that's the Dr. Peters or whatever, but that's because he sees him and then his brain puts him in there. And it's just another way of kind of making you think, it, is this really happening or not? Just definitely great stuff. It's one of those movies that's meant to be completely ambiguous. And I think it works very well in that aspect. I don't want to know the answer kind of, because then you can always think about it and imagine it whatever way you'd like. Yeah, like a choose your book almost, Dan. Yeah, like the ending is up to you. Yeah, that's that's a cool part about this, man. Let's move on to the section of the movie set sometime in 1990 in a mental institution in Baltimore. Why don't we start with the introduction of Madeline Stowe as Dr. Rayleigh? Like she's giving a lecture about Cassandra and she's one of the, you know, figures from Greek mythology and her gift was she could see the future, but no one ever listened to her. And again, it goes back to what is really happening here. And then obviously we've kind of touched on it already. You know, Brad Pitt really absolutely slates this as Jeffrey Goins. And it seems almost kind of odd he's here because it's a low budget flick because he signed up for this, you know, years before when he was still kind of like up and coming. By the time 12 Monkeys came out, 
there had already been interview with the vampire, the vampire chronicles, Legends of the Fall, Seven. So he was already a huge star when this happened. So it was really a boon to them from a marketing standpoint because when they cast him, they didn't know he was like, you know, Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt. Yeah, that's a good point. Who else do y'all think could have been considered for Jeffrey Goins? The one I have in my notes that was definitely considered was, uh, you know, someone who maybe shouldn't surprise you, Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp would have been really, really good, man. I um. I like that. I I actually had Edward Norton. I think Edward Norton could have been fantastic here. Um, I think you could just play that kind of like neurotic, like, you know, I I really would have enjoyed seeing him in this as, as, as Jeffrey Goins. What if you went like super wacky with like Gilbert Godfrey to went like way over the top with it? (laughs) I don't know, man. It might've been a bridge too far, but, but, but it could have worked. I was thinking something a little bit more like maybe not as high caliber as like Brad Pitt, like, like a Sam Rockwell probably would have killed. I like Sam Rockwell. He might have been too young, but I love Sam Rockwell. He's awesome. Um, what's that dude's name? How about uh, no, Keanu? I'm trying to think who else was kind of hot in the, the mid nineties. There, I mean, I Mel know. Gibson. What if Mel Gibson just did like the South Park joint version of Mel Gibson? That would a younger probably could have because you got to play like, like the crazy, you, like you know, when he did early movie. Lethal Weapon, like yeah, unhinged. Like, yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, that could have been Kilmer would have been a good one. Oh, I like Val Kilmer. That's interesting. Val Kilmer could have did this. That's interesting. Yeah, young Val Kilmer, maybe. Yeah. And uh, here you get kind of a little bit of the causal effect on it. Like Cole goes back here, he overshoots where he's supposed to go. So he goes to 90 instead of 96. And he talks to Goins. And based on what he says in the future, like, is this in fact what happens? Is James Cole responsible? for the formation of the army of the 12 monkeys and giving Goins the idea to, you know, release the virus from his father, even though that's not ultimately the way it works out. Like, is this what caused it? Like that's, you know, I I think one of the pivotal questions in the flick. I think maybe, I think maybe in a way, because, uh, you know, even, even when, uh, you know, later in the movie, when, when he, when he meets up with, when those two meet up again, first thing he remembers, you know, when uh, when going starts talking, it was like you had that idea. Yeah, <laughs> right. So like it, he didn't have the idea organically; it was implanted in his head by James Cole. And I think that's you know again one of my favorite. You you shouldn't call it a trick, but the just the idea of this movie is you can watch it a hundred times and read it. You know, maybe not a hundred different ways, but fifty different ways. There's so much going on here, and one thing that I saw that I thought was cool is that it was a theory that somehow the virus spared people that had mental illness. And that's why everything is so kind of like haphazard in the future, because all of these people have issues on some level and they're trying their best to take care of the problem, but they're just not actually mentally capable of, you know, focusing quite on it the right way or whatever. Uh, any thoughts on any theories or anything like that? It only affects humans apparently. So whatever it is, you know, so there's animals roaming around of all species other than human. Are you encouraging interspecies breeding to get gain immunity? Ah, not really. But now that you mention it, man, I'm gonna have to think. <laughs> well, I mean, immune to world stopping virus. I, yeah, uh, if five but, billion people are, I think like maybe you could make a case. Dude. I mean, on season fifteen, always sunny, the monkey fucked their faces. So I mean. It feels like been there, done that. It's just like incest on HBO. We've all learned to accept it. That's true. 
Well, that's true. Back in the future here, Cole is interrogated by the scientists and he's sent back into the past. First, he lands in the middle of World War I battle. It's random, it's chaotic, it's cool. There, he's shot in the leg before he jumps ahead to 1996, six years after he disappeared from the mental institution. Guys, this was really cool. I like this was classic Terry Gilliam for me. Just kind of that quick, sudden jump, the deep, intimate details of each kind of world that he was in. To be able to pack all that into this little scene, I thought it was really cool. Yeah, even a little bit when we meet Dr. Peters, David Morris, like the, you know, redhead dude with the ponytail, like he has, a, you know, Dr. Rayleigh signed his book and everything like that. That's a cool way of, all right, here he is, here's the villain, but they keep showing us all these other things. So we don't really even notice it until we kind of get it at the end. Even when we see, you know, in Cole's dreams, he's seeing Jeffrey Goins in the ponytail instead of Dr. Peters. It's just great stuff here, like you said, kind of the unreliable narrator and the great Terry Gilliam thing about, you know, causality here. Is he making it happen? Did he already happen? You know, what's the deal? And you saw even a little bit of then Back to the Future when, you know, Marty's uh, back in the past and he sees his, the picture of his siblings disappearing and everything. Is he causing that? Is it just happening anyways? That's the cool time table shit that I really enjoy a lot of times. Uh, I mean, any kind of other thoughts here on Dr. Rayleigh? Because she starts out pretty straight-laced, right? Because And then at the end, she's like a true believer. What do you think about kind of her arc, especially where she starts here? It's like, you know, very, very fucking regular, basically. Yeah, totally, man. And uh, and I think I think she did a stellar fucking job in this movie too, man. But her transition throughout the you know through the course of the movie was definitely a uh, you know it's not something that somebody's gonna fight, especially somebody her caliber on fucking you know uh, psychoanalysts and everything else. I mean, she's a fucking psychiatrist, right? So she's not gonna fucking believe this shit. But the events that take place get her to that point, which is fucking uh, pretty pretty phenomenal, really. Yeah, I like the two ships in the night thing. Like, obviously, at the beginning, she thinks he's crazy, and he thinks he's from the future. And by the time we get to where he goes to, like, confront Goins when he's at his pop's house, they've almost shifted, where he's like, all right, I'm mentally divergent or whatever, and she starts to believe him. And I love how that, you know, it works. Like, they start out on two ends, they pass each other, and then eventually come back around together to be the thing we've seen throughout the flick with the, the dream sequence or the memories or whatever you want to call it. I, I just think this is just fantastic writing and it just works really, really well for me. And one of the reasons I think that the movie really moves and has momentum, even though you keep jumping time periods and you don't necessarily have access to all the information you'd like. This was such a cool kind of arc within the movie to see that happen just a phenomenal job by both actors here. You really feel like you're in the moment and you're seeing like why Cole thinks he is mentally ill and why Dr. Rayleigh believes that he's actually right. Like, it's so cool to see that. So I just, I, I just, again, such a great job doing that, man. A um, lot of fun with this one. We're always... I mean, we are always looking for something that helps tie the show together. And we got a rug that's just like the dudes, but it's not quite enough. That's why we do the Six Degrees of Lebowski, where we connect our featured review to the Big Lebowski in Six Degrees or less. You would think there's a lot of ways to kind of really go DITC, dig it in the crates here, but let's just keep it nice and easy. Bruce Willis is by far the fastest way from 12 Monkeys to the Big Lebowski because Bruce Willis plays James Cole. 
He played Bo Weinberg in Billy Bathgate, where Steve Buscemi played Irving, and Steve Buscemi is Donnie in The Big Lebowski. So, two degrees, ain't no thing, baby. Ain't no thing but a chicken wing on a string. Meanwhile, back in 2035, James Cole convinces the scientists to send him back to 1996 to finish his mission. However, when he arrives in 1996, Dr. Rayleigh thinks that he's telling the truth while Cole still thinks that he's mentally ill. Guys, we talked about this a little bit before here. This is an awesome part of this movie where you really start to see it kind of ramp up a little bit, right? Just how deep this thing is. Yeah, the bit where she gets a call about the bullet and then like starts frantically searching for the picture and then sees yeah. James in it. I remember... You know, just a few things about the first time I saw this, but I remember that and being like, oh, shit, because I wasn't oh, sure if it was real or not. And at that point, that made it feel really real to me for what it's worth. So that's kind of how I took that moment. It was one of the bigger moments for me. And then it flips out on tech because then he shows up and he's like, oh, no, it's not real. And she's out there like spray painting the shit on the front of the thing. And you saw that picture before. And then that sets up the bit that she leaves the voicemail and then James, like he knows the voicemail because and then he starts to believe again. Uh, I think just absolutely fantastic writing in, in everything about this works for me. Uh, Soup, any thoughts on kind of this section there? No, I have to agree with totally what you said, but that does make me remember that the voicemail was one of those things that before I had rewatched this movie, I hadn't seen it in a few years or whatever. Um, again, I watched it a lot back in the day, but that voicemail was uh, was something that I always kind of like have a Merry Christmas, you know. It was something that yeah, always with was... the little because it's a they're rebuilding it, so it's a little distorted or whatever. So it sounds like almost demonic a little bit at the end. Yeah, yeah that's really cool. And then the idea, right, that it's not the twelve monkeys. Like we did it, they thought it was, a, but they all they did was release the animals. That was right. a cool twist that I never saw coming. When they get in the car, and then they think, oh, it's okay, like. This was the the thing the whole time. The virus is unrelated or whatever. Uh, yeah, but is it? No, it's it? not. I mean, that's the Hitchcockian part of it, which right. is, you know, thrown right in there when they go to the joint plane, like the Hitchcock joint, you see like Vertigo, the birds, it, that whole bit was really cool. And then just the moment Cole has when he sees her in the blonde wig, again, a very Hitchcockian thing with the blonde wig, he's just like oh shit like he starts to kind of be like this is my destiny or whatever for what it's worth and that's what it seems like at the end i don't think in that moment he realizes it was a memory and not a dream but i think it just something kind of clicks in that moment i guess Mm -hmm. yeah at least that's my impression or either that or you know i mean would they really have been better off in the florida keys i mean have you ever been to the florida keys they're gonna be underwater in like 20 years i mean at this point like, do you all remember the first time you watched it? Like, did you realize when you see her and he gets a mustache or whatever, did you realize, like, what was going on? I want to say probably not the first time I watched it. It might have took me until, like, you know, close to the it's end. It's there, of- but it's subtle, right? Like, that, you know, they give you all the information you need to realize it, but it's not, you know, you know pounding you in the face with it. Yeah, right. it's not over the top obvious and that's one thing i like about it but there's enough there to put it together and when you put it together and you start to see the puzzle come come to like kind of fruition it's awesome dude it takes us to a whole nother level of kind of movie enjoyment because you can kind of put it together and when you see it happening it's like oh wow and any movie that can make you do that is is a worthwhile venture in my opinion 
Yeah, there's the other level of causality where Cole kind of on a certain level convinces Jeffrey Goins' dad to be like, oh shit, Jeffrey might want to steal the shit. So he takes him out of the loop. But the dude he trusts is Dr. Peters, the dude who ultimately steals it. So again, you see Cole probably ultimately causing the virus to be able to get stolen in the first place. Crazy. Before we get to the climax, I just want to ask you guys, what do you think about the actual name? The Army of the Twelve Monkeys. If you were going to start your own underground army or movement, what would you call it? Mills, you're up first here. Um, the Gash Slashers? Slash and Gash, dude? Is that what you're up to? And taking names, Slash and Gash and taking names. That, that feels like a good t-shirt. How about like the Killer Penguins? Because penguins usually aren't like killers. Uh, that can be cool. Uh, how about the IRS? Because everyone's already scared of the IRS. And then you're just like the uh, the International Resistance Society. Because that sounds classy and shit. It does. Nice acronym there. And before we move on, I just want to point out that the Army of the Twelve Monkeys is actually a Magic of Oz thing, a Frank L. Ba- an L. Frank Baum thing. Because uh, the Gnome King and whatnot convince 12 monkeys that they will have an endless supply of food if they become human soldiers for them. So, shout out the uh, random Wizard of Oz hookup here. Jamie G, what would your army be named? Well, you know I gotta keep it 100% with my Buffalo Bills. I ride or die. I'm going with the Mafia Militia. The Mafia Militia, it's an underground movement taking over the world. If you don't like the Bills, then we Busting you. Fuck you. Bills by a billion. Sue? Hard to beat that, but I did come up with a couple of other ones, man. Um, we'll go ahead and start with the uh the blue ribbon rangers. Ooh. Oh, for the nice. I like that. Pretty simple. I, I like I like the baker's dozen. I think that's pretty cool. Nice and to the point. I like that too. Let's go a little bit deeper now. We're gonna go with uh we're gonna go with poster nutbag brigade. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Poster nutbag brigade. And we'll polish it off with one more option. Hose master horse cocks. Is that a hose master? <laughs> hose master. The watchful hose master horse cocks. That brings us to the climax of this here film. And let's start with the fact that we learn James Cole's dreams. Well, they're not dreams at all, but memory of something he witnessed as a child. Again, another massive mind bend here. How cool is this concept? It's kind of fucked up, right? At a certain level that you're always doomed. It's not quite a time loop, but he's just, his entire life, you get the feeling he's haunted by these memories. And that's because they're memories of him watching himself die. That's kind of dark, right? For an ending? Super dark, dude. Yes! Very, very morbid. <laughs> 100%. I mean, did y'all, you know, kind of like this? I mean, originally, it, it was even a little bit darker, and that's why they had, they added, like, the insurance scene. You get the lady at the end telling Dr. Peter she's in, in insurance. It's a scientist from the future. And then they have right. a crane shot outside with Cole. And it's really weird because, like, they were fighting for those each to be the ending, and then they showed them to test audiences. They liked them so much, they just put them both in. And they worked, so they actually just used both endings. So it was a little bit weird there. I mean, did y'all like it? Was it, you know, did it say enough? Was it ambiguous enough? Did 
y'all like the ending for what it was. I mean, I I did like it. I I think it totally felt the scheme, or it totally felt like it fit the scheme. I mean, obviously, we all want a happy ending or whatever, but we knew we weren't getting it in this movie. So uh, I I I I like the way it all tied in, man. You don't see that shit every. You don't. And what I like about this, it leaves you thinking. And I think they stayed true to what they were kind of did throughout the entire movie here. Where like this is a movie that if you want to watch it and you really want to enjoy it and you really want to feel it. You need to be thinking. You need to be following it. You need to be having your own kind of like thoughts around it and forming your own conclusions and following along, paying attention to the clues. And when you do that, it delivers and it delivers big time. And I think they stayed true to that whole concept with the ending. This is one that you think about. I've still been thinking about it. We're letting the animals out of the zoo. Was that just a diversion? Was he in out the whole time? Like there's a lot here, dude. Well, see, I didn't even give him that much credit. I didn't know if he could be involved, but that's interesting. And I'd like that well, it's open enough that you can find... Else. Hear me out on this, dude. Like, he did a bunch of diversions. The whole monkey, get it? Like, his whole thing was create a big diversion so that something else can happen. He showed us that in the mental institution. Was he tied into this? There was just enough to maybe think he could have been to where that was a giant diversion for the whole thing. Like, it just... Interesting, dude. Yeah, I totally like what you're putting down there. This is the kind of flick that you can basically read whatever you want into, but in a good way. You don't even know necessarily, is there a hero? Who is the hero? Is, you know, is anything necessarily wrong or right? Or is it just public opinion? I I think they do a good job of just making it the right amount of ambiguous. Yeah, for sure, dude. You've got a really good point there with uh, with did maybe he uh, you know ultimately have this in his head the entire time too? Because you know, judging by the movie and everything else, it, it's like oh man, like he just was trying to let the animals out. But now looking back real quick, why did he kidnap his father in this? You know, other than to maybe create the diversion and yep. make it. He didn't need to do that. He could have did the fucking animal thing without doing that. But he yeah, did especially because exactly. his father was out of the loop, so he couldn't even have gotten the virus if he wanted to. And I think that's, you know, Terry Gilliam said he deliberately balanced it out so it would be ambiguous, so there is no definitive answer. So my guess is that's why they did it, but I enjoyed that aspect of it. And But I think under lesser hands, on something that's not as well-written, it could be annoying instead of interesting. That's the best part, that how open to interpretation is i mean and usually we kind of talk about could they do a a prequel a sequel a reboot or whatever but in this case they actually did a 12 monkeys tv series it ran on sci-fi for four seasons between 2015 2018 i did watch it did anybody else watch it i did not um i thought about it as we were uh you know over the past week as we were doing this but i really wanted to just watch this and i was barely able to squeeze that in so um since you have seen it is something i should bother checking out because i didn't really see a lot of good reviews on this to be candid i did not i have not seen this either so is this something i should put on the list i really enjoyed this one it's a cast that's gone on to do other things. It's smartly written. They got a little bit screwed because they made this at a time when sci-fi was starting to make themselves more of a legitimate channel, you know, kind of the early to mid prestige TV area. But it, by the end, they kind of wanted to bail. So they burned the last season off, like not even on their app, but just as like a weekend binge kind of thing. But it was a very tightly written, well-acted sci-fi show. Uh, put it this way, at the end, 
there's a very climactic scene that is just awesome and they're they're in a car and they're gonna do something great and they hit the tape deck and uh it's a dirty dancing song and it's just and it's so perfect it's that kind of show it really hits they they do the time travel well so i would recommend it i believe 12 monkeys the tv series is on hulu if you get a chance watch it it's very cool it answers a lot of the stuff it it it's not really the same for the show other than a few of the character names and the initial concept that works in its favor. Very cool cast. Okay. That's awesome, dude. Definitely, definitely got it on the list. Uh, anything else before we hand out sponges and grades here? There is another theory that we actually see 12 monkeys in the film. Like you got the monkey and the roast beef sandwiches, the zoo animals, like there's a theory that you see 12 monkeys in the film, but I, I tried. I, I only saw like three, but they could be there. Just saying. To go back and look. <laughs> to go back and yeah, look. And again, just shout out the look and the score. This is a very unique flick in that aspect. Nothing else like quite looks like this. It sounds like this. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I love that. And how about the logo? The 12 Monkeys logo is badass. Yeah, that's too. a cool one with the, especially the walk around like that. I Good call, monkeys. dude. That's a very cool little bit of, in just the idea of it, you know, even if it is based on the Wizard of Oz, that actually, you know, Wizard of Oz is kind of based on time travel and weird shit like that. So it's a cool aspect to it, I think. So you think you're sponge worthy? Yes, I think I'm sponge worthy. I think I'm very sponge worthy. You know, you're nuts with these sponges. Run down your case for me again. She said I wasn't sponge worthy. Wouldn't waste a sponge on me. Now it's time to determine if 12 Monkeys is sponge worthy. The sponge supply is absolutely limited. So with six episodes left in this cycle, I have five sponges left. I actually make it 4.5 because I just lost a, lost a half a sponge to Mills with the fish list. Mills, you and Soup each have three. Well, actually, Mills, you have 3.5. Are you using one of your three remaining sponges on 12 monkeys? Yeah, we're not going to worry about the uh, numbers too much there, but I absolutely am using a sponge left. If it was my last sponge, I would use it on 12 monkeys. Put it that way. Soup, using one of your precious sponges for the 12 monkeys. Here's the thing, man, is I'm running low on sponges. I lost last week a half a sponge or whatever, and I used one last week too. But there's no way I cannot fucking fuck this movie with a sponge, dude. So I have to give this one a sponge, and there's no way I can fucking wrap it up for this. I got a raw dogger with a sponge, dude. It's fucking 12 months. It's a great fucking movie. It's sponge-worthy for sure. Jamie G, you obviously have one to spare, I bet. Oh, God. I'm running low. Oh, but dude, this one is just, yes, I have to give 12 Monkeys uh, a sponge. It, I really enjoyed it. Thank you for, for selecting it, Magnum Mills. One of your better, better ones of recent memory. That's what she said. Now that we've settled the sponge worthiness, it's time to give a grade to 12 Monkeys. We're going to grade this one on a scale of 1 to 10 swallowed spiders. Mills, how many spiders are you eating for this one? This is somewhere between Archer, where he used to make Woodhouse eat spider webs, and uh, the Spider Monkey joint from uh, Ricky Bobby, uh, the Talladega Nights joint. Dude, I gotta go nine point seven swallowed spiders, dude. This is this is just a fantastic movie. It's way up there for me in my personal list. So I fucking love this one. Nine point seven swallowed spiders. How about yourself, Jamie G? I'm pretty much there with you. Nine and a half swallowed spiders for me. Soup? 
I'll tell you one thing. I fucking hate spiders, man. I cannot fucking stand it. So the thought of swallowing spiders is freaking me out right now. But I'll tell you this. Spiders have eight legs, right? So I'm like, yeah, do I get... No, I don't think that's enough. I think this spider gets an extra leg, and I'm going to give it an even nine legs, a nine and a stump. I'm giving it nine and a half spiders, too, man. Nine legs and a stump, dude. We're trying to get to a movie. You better get going. You don't want to miss one second of that movie. Is it that good? <laughs> it's the best goddamn movie I've ever seen in my life. Oh. Dude hangs dumb. I told oh. you! I told you! I don't want to miss that! It's time to spin the wheel and make our pitches for what to discuss on the next episode right here on Regular Dudes Watch Stuff. Remember, you cannot vote for your own pitch. And if we have a three-way tie, we do a little three-way action, we can spin another wheel, which may or may not be a wheel in the sky. And it may or may not keep turning. After we spin the wheel, I'll be up first, followed by the soup, Dusa. And then the Magna Mills will bring it up the rear. That's where he likes to be. But before that, it's time to spin the wheel. All right. Are y'all motherfuckers ready to spin the wheel? Uh, Yeah, let's go ahead and spin this fucking thing, man. Wow. This is an interesting one because there's no real pitch here. This is just a preview. We're each going to to pick two sketches from our favorite sketch comedy show to talk about because they're generally pretty short. So all you need to do is get everybody hyped for one sketch that you're going to pitch. And uh, for myself, let me just say, I'm definitely going at least one from Chappelle show, and uh, it's going to be a good time. Three Samuel Jacksons coming right up. Good motherfucking choice, motherfucker. Samuel Jackson, made painstakingly by me, Samuel L. Jackson. It'll get you drunk. Jamie G. Soup, pitch me uh, one sketcher, you know, at least thinking about pitching. Well, I can give you one right now, and that's going to be off of a that's going to be off of a Mister Show episode, and it's going to be the time caplet. And now here's our lost uh, episode. <laughs> the following children's program is not suitable for younger or more sensitive viewers. Billy was a normal boy, lonely, lazy, and dull. One day his friend Burgos flew in and hit him on the skull. Yep, Jamie G. Uh, just uh, any one sketch you're interested in talking about. I'm telling you right now, I'm going to be selecting from, and you're welcome, Key and Peel all day. Well, Jeff, let's have a look at the replay here to see if indeed he did do the three pumps. All right, no question. There is the first one, yeah, right? Agreed. Right. And then coming up is the second one. Okay, yes, very clear. It's the third. We'll see it. It's Just coming up sure. right here. Oh, yeah, you're right. There's absolutely three pumps there. Oh, nice. See, I love this, dude. This will be a fun one. We're all just going to pick two sketches to talk about. So it would be six sketches in total. And uh, 
We're just going to have fun with this. I think it'll be a good time. It'll add something to what we've been doing. We haven't talked about any sketches like this before, although the soup has pitched some Mr. Show stuff before. And you can pull from decades of different stuff, SNL, Kids in the Hall, uh, Living Color, whatever the fuck you want, Key and Peel, tons of stuff here. Super excited for this. Thank you guys for checking out Regular Dudes Watch Stuff. It's just a bunch of regular dudes watching stuff. We appreciate you, whether you watched or listened. Thank you for being with us. It matters. You're awesome. You're the coolest. Keep doing it. We'll keep thinking you're cool. Let us know if you got something we should check out. Just drop us a line, dude. Hit us up at Regular Dudes Watch Stuff. We respond to that shit. Slip up in my DMs, man. We'll hit you up. And whatever you do, make sure you do not forget the flaps. If you've done anything today anything if you want to be somebody make sure you follow like and please subscribe magna mills fill in the gaps well jamie g neglected to mention that he's like one of them motherfuckers that charges 99.99 for his only fans so you're gonna have to come out of your pockets for that one fortunately for you it doesn't cost anything to follow like subscribe to regular dudes watch stuff Again, wherever you get your pods and on YouTube, find us on social media at Dudes Watched Up. Do not forget those flaps. Follow, like, and please subscribe. That's the way people find our channel. Next week is going to be super fun because it's going to be random sketches. They're all going to be funny. I can basically guarantee goddamn tea that. And uh, you can take that to the bank or shove your head up the ass, get the butcher's word or whatever various references you'd like throughout the you know flicks we have covered, will cover, or may not have covered. We'll be back next week to cover a bunch of sketchy shit where we sketch out watching sketches. Gonna be a good time. We'll see you there, right here on Regular Dude. Watch stuff. We need to have a draft. Now he's ready to fight.